So we are going to be examining today Ishopanishad mantras four through eight. And a presentation which you can connect with. So here we're first going to do an overview of mantras four through eight. So four through eight are about how to realize the Lord. Last time we discussed the invocation in mantras one through three, how to connect with the Lord and how to feel complete. We talked about how to connect with the Lord by the Ishavashir principle, by taking only our quota. And we talked about our quota not only in terms of material objects, but also in terms of serving the Lord according to our own nature. And then we discussed about in mantras two and three that if one works like this, it doesn't matter if one lives or dies. One's happy to live even in the material world for hundreds of years. And if one doesn't live like this, that one is miserable and in ignorance. However, one might think, well, that just sounds like pious life. Basically, the mode of passion. The mode of passion is you have a respectable position in society. You're concerned with status and honor. You take nice care of your family. You give in charity. And you're a pious religious person, you're a righteous person. Mode of passion is very much concerned with material dharma, the king. But that's not really what's going on here. It's a fact that you can connect with Krishna in a pious way through material dharma to some extent. To some extent. The demigods are doing this, of course. Uh, primarily in the mode of goodness, although they also have quite a bit of this mode of mentality of I'm going to be a pious person for name and fame and therefore get the blessings of the Lord. Those of you who just joined us, we also have a visual presentation you can connect to. So Ishopanishad now explains, no, no, we're not talking about material piety. You know, those of us who live in America we know that the Christians are always making propaganda for material piety, for family values, all the mode of passion. And even the mode of goodness, somebody just going, uh, absorption in philosophy, poetry, going to the forest, absorption in meditation. No, that's not what it is. If you really want to feel complete, if you really want to connect with the Lord, 
that is done in another way. It's done on a higher level of consciousness than the three modes of material nature. It's done in the fourth level of consciousness, Turiya, above wakefulness, dreaming, and deep sleep. So it is that level of consciousness that is described in the next four mantras. The fact that the Lord is inconceivable, inconceivable, the first two mantras are that the Lord is inconceivable. He cannot be understood just through following the material piety of the world's shastras. That's a good step. We encourage that, in fact. Krishna, the 12th chapter of the Bhagavad Gita encourages that if you can't do anything, if you can't even work for me, then give him charity. He at least do some sort of sacrifice. The sister in Prabhupada yesterday, he was saying how once Sanyasi came to a householder's house and the householders didn't want to give anything, he said, at least give some ashes and begin your charity. At least give something. Have a mood of sacrifice. Have some idea of God consciousness. Something some beginning of karma yoga, and even if it's sakam karma, something. But that's not really what we're talking about. Not really what we're talking about. We're talking about the Lord's inconceivable greatness that can only be understood above the modes of nature. Ah, and then what, you know, the, the wisdom. <laughs> what is there for me? What, what does that mean for me? What what will I experience? How will I know that I'm really connecting with the Lord? So in Mantra 6 and 7, we look at the vision of the Mahabhagavata and the consciousness of the Mahabhagavata, which reminds us very much of the verses in Chapter 2 where Arjuna is asking about the self-realized person. How does he speak? What is his language? How does he sit? How does he walk? Which the Acharyas have commented on as meaning... What is the person's internal experience? And how does the person relate externally? So that's explained. And then at the end in Mantra 8, that if you really want to know this inconceivable Lord, you have to develop this vision and consciousness. There is no other way. There's no other way. Uh, this is the found by coming to the platform of Uttama Adhikari. Which is come, which in summary we can say is chanting with the view to be to, to become free of offenses, to serve the Lord and the Vaishnavas with honesty and humility, to recognize our inertia and ask the Lord to free us from them. And Prabhupada also deals with the temptation and problem of imitation. Okay, we're going to go through the mantras now. This is our little. Poetry, again, we have a visual presentation for those who joined us late. Inconceivable Lord may be far or near, but he is revealed to those who are dear. Inconceivable Lord may be far or near, but he is revealed to those who are dear. We have a really nice illustration. All right, mantra four. Although fixed in his abode, the personality of Godhead is swifter than the mind and can overcome all others running. The powerful demigods cannot approach him. Although in one place, he controls those who supply the air in rain. He surpasses all in excellence. So, contradiction. Okay? Contradiction. 
So how is this explained? Prabhupada is talking about fire, although fixed in his abode, like fire is in one place, but its heat and light are spread everywhere. You know, before central heating, people used to heat with a fireplace. And they heat the whole house, fireplace, with wood-burning stove, and you have pipes that spread the heat everywhere. Or the sun is in one place. But even, I don't know where all of you are in the world, probably some of you are where it's dark. But where I am, the sun has risen not very long ago. A room where there's, let's see, one, two, three, four windows, none of them facing where the sun is rising. And still, even if the lights are turned off, there's enough light coming into my room that the I'm in is illuminated, although the sun is 93 million miles away, according to modern science. And I can see everything in the room just by the sunlight indirectly coming into a few windows. Those of you who are joining us late, we have a visual presentation you can also log on to. Also, the heat of the sun. Although the sun is so far away, the sun is, I'm in a place where there's no other heat source, and the heat is warming the room. At least Fahrenheit, it's in the 60s, whether would that be maybe 17, 18 Celsius. So the heat and light of the sun is being diffused, even though the sun is in one place. He's far away, but he's very near. <laughs> so Prabhupada's saying, yes, he's so far. I mean, just to get to another planet in this universe so far. And yet, Prabhupada's saying here that you can touch his feet, you can offer him some food stuff. We have a nice, beautiful painting here, deity worship. You can decorate him. He's so near. Of course, he's in our heart. Ishwara Sarvabhutan on your day share. There is there's nobody closer to us. You know, we, we might have some very close friend that we can sit next to, we can hold their hand, we can embrace them. But even that person who's so close to us, still really, they're not that close. They're not that close. What other person can we find who always understands our heart, with whom there's no misunderstanding and miscommunication? Where is such a person? Has anyone ever found such a person? Uh, We look for that person, you know, the so-called soulmate or whatever. Well, we don't find that person. Krishna is the most near, and yet he's so far, unapproachable. Prabhupada said, how does he accept? Immediately, if you know the meaning. It's very difficult, very easy for the So this is how we can understand that Krishna is very far away and yet he's very near through Achintya Beta Beta Tattva. We talked about this last time, but it bears a, a brief repeating that if all you see is the oneness, if that's all you see is the oneness, there's no relationship. If all you see is the difference, there's nothing to offer. I just want to check for her funny name. We're all 
So if all you, you can't have just one or the other. If you have one or the other, then it's not, it's not a practical philosophy. If, I'm, if everything is just one, then what do I do? Why do I just, I just exist? <laughs> there's nothing to do. There's no, no one to love. There's nothing to do with. And if there's just a difference, then I have a lot of things and I exist and there's another person, but I have no way to connect with them. I have no way to connect. Just like even in this world, if there's too much difference between me and another person, I can't connect with them. People are always looking for a compatible relationship. There has to be some oneness. There has to be some harmony in order to connect. So although Krishna is inconceivable, how can he have no beginning? My grandkids were saying this the other day. How can Krishna have no beginning? How can I have no beginning? I can't understand something that has no beginning. What to speak of these things here, far away and near. But we can understand a little bit through the idea that the Lord has energy. I would suggest that you study Chaitanya Charitamrita Adi Lila, Chapter 7, for a really thorough discussion of the difference between understanding that the Lord has energy and thinking that the Lord has no energy. The Mayavadi conception is that the Lord has no energy, that Sarvakalamidam Brahma, that everything in the world, instead of being an expansion of Krishna's energy, is an expansion of Krishna directly. Something like, if I bake a cake, I've transformed one of my fingers into the cake. Or have I baked the cake through a transformation of my energy? When you understand that it's a transformation of energy, one can understand even intellectually something of this inconceivable nature. For us, just like dear Vividaya Visharita, Krishna has multifarious energies. In other words, although he's non-dual, although he's one, although there's no difference between him and his energies, still, we can say that Krishna has his energy. And, and we also have our energy. Prabhupada talks about uh, that everything should be used in his service. This is one of my most, one of my, I think, most wonderful quotes in Prabhupada's books in this purport. I'll read it. Every part and parcel of the complete whole is endowed with some particular energy to act according to the Lord's will. When the part and parcel living entity forgets his particular activities under the Lord's will, he becomes to be in mocking illusion. Thus, from the very beginning, Sri Upanishad warns us to be very careful to play the part designated for us by the Lord. This does not mean that the individual's soul has no initiative of his own. Because he is part and parcel of the Lord, he must partake of the initiative of the Lord as well. When a person properly utilizes his initiative or active nature with intelligence, understanding that everything is the Lord's potency, he can revive his original consciousness, which was lost due to association with maya, the external energy. So here it says here that we have a particular activity. And we have particular activities. We have a part designated for us by the Lord. So materially, that means what gender, age, and inclinations we have in this body. That's what it means materially. Are, are we male or female? How old am I? Am I 10? Am I 20? Am I 50? Am I 60? Am I 70? So there are some activities divided by gender. There are some divided by age, normally called the ashramas. And then there are some divided by inclination called the varnas. When you put that together, gender, age, and inclination you get the part designated for us by the Lord, what Prabhupada translates in the Bhagavad Gita as 
prescribed duties. That's on a material level. That's on a material flawed dharma. And those prescribed duties of our gender, age, and inclination are a result of our initiative in previous lives. And to some extent also on this life. They're a result of our own desires. Of course, we may not like that. We may not like the, the inclinations and the body that we have in this life. However, uh, they are a result of our own desires in previous lives. If we want to have a different kind of material nature, the result of that will be simply to get a different body. And if we are thinking that we'd rather use a different nature in Christian service, the result will simply be that we get a different body. Whatever part is designated to us by our particular body in this life has its advantages and disadvantages, both materially and spiritually, undoubtedly. There's no material position that has only spiritual advantages or material advantages. But whatever it is, it's, this has now been designated to us by the Lord according to our previous desires and karma. We, Prabhupada says here, we also partake of Krishna's initiative. We don't just use our gender, age, and inclination for our own sense gratification. We use our gender, age, and inclination for Krishna's sense gratification. Of course, he's also talking about our spiritual school of Dharma. We have a part in Krishna Lila. We have a part that Krishna would like us to do. And this, again, is a combination of our initiative and Krishna's initiative. Those who are most surrendered to Krishna, they are engaged in the rasa They are dancing with Krishna. They're, it's not just that Krishna comes to them and says, okay, do this, do this, do this. It's a, it's a dance. A dance is someone is doing one thing, another person is reciprocating. There's, there's back and forth reciprocation. So that is the way that we are to understand Krishna's inconceivable. Okay, and Prabhupada, this is one, another one of my very favorite quotes. In a letter to Sukadev, Prabhupada says, everyone has given, Krishna has given everyone something extraordinary, and to serve Krishna with one's extraordinary talent means successful life. So we all have the general prescribed duties given to us by the Shastra, but we also have something extraordinary. All, each of us has some extraordinary talent. And Prabhupada's saying here that we use that to serve Krishna. Again, I'm going to make the point from the previous class. Don't deny our own talent and our own nature and try to offer someone else's nature. That's not surrender. That's not connection. Okay, going into mantra five, which is more of the inconceivable nature of the Lord. He walks but doesn't walk. Oops, sorry, go back here. The Supreme Lord walks and does not walk. He is far away, but he is very near as well. He's within everything, and yet he is outside of everything. So the contradictions we've come to so far from mantra one, fixed in one place, but the fastest. Stays in one place, but he's the fastest. Can't be approached even by the demigods. Localized, but controls the whole creation. And the most excellent. Here in Mantra 5, walks and doesn't walk. Far away and close, inside and outside. So Prabhupada is saying that this is not logical to say that someone walks and doesn't walk. But yet this is his inconceivable 
power. Now we give the example of the sun, the example of the moon following us. And the example of the prophet also gives us of deity worship, how the Lord is very accessible to us. And Prabhupada says, the Lord can appear in the form of the arch of figure a deity supposedly made of earth, stone, or wood. Deity forms are not idols. The Lord appears in a so-called material form to accept his devotee service. They are factually working the Lord, worshiping the Lord. This can be felt by a devotee, but not by an atheist. And, of course, Prahlad experiences. We have a picture here of Nisingadeh coming out of the pillar. I recently, I always wondered, whenever I've shown this picture, uh, to those of you who can see the presentation, and if you can't, there is a way to log on and see it, on the left side, you see Nisingadev coming out of a pillar. And so many people, when I've shown this picture, have asked me where the deity is. Well, I finally saw where this deity is. It's at the school run by Bhaktivedya Purnamaraj in Mayapur. And this deity used to belong to either Sridhar Swami or Suhotra Swami. Here we have Krishna playing with his friends. Why Krishna playing in his friends? To show that we have the same quality as Krishna. We can actually relate to Krishna. And here's our little poem. The next couple of mantras. In quality, we and the Lord are the same, but if we don't desire him, we are to blame. In quality, we and the Lord are the same. If we don't desire him, we are to blame. Okay, now we're coming to mantra six. So mantra four and five establish that the Lord with whom we're to connect with, the Lord with whom once we connect with we are complete, is someone who's beyond the scope of material consciousness and material piety. We established before we want to connect, we want to become complete with the Lord, we want to do that by using everything in his service, and the next question will be, who is that Lord? The Lord is inconceivable, beyond material consciousness. All right, well, how do you do it? And what happens when you do it? What happens when you actually connect with the Lord? What vision do you get? Here we have the vision. He who sees systematically everything in relation to the Supreme Lord, who sees all living entities as his parts and parcels, and who sees the Supreme Lord within everything, never hates anything nor any being. So these are, this mantra is giving us both a process and a result. It's giving us both Abhideya and Payoji. That if you get a, a non-envious consciousness, he's talking about a non-envious consciousness, you will see everything in relation to the Supreme Lord, all living entities with its parts and parcels, and see him within everything. Then you never hate anyone. Our love of God, our prema, has been transformed into lust, as Srila Prabhupada says in the third chapter of Bhagavad Gita, when Arjuna asks, why is it that we perform sinful activities as if compelled by force? Why do we do things that are not our sword dharma, either spiritually or materially? Why does a woman try to act like a man or a man try to act like a woman? Why does a brahmachari try to imitate the grahasta? Why does a grahasta try to imitate a brahmachari? Why does a sannyasi try to imitate a grahasta? 
Why does a Brahmin try to imitate a Sudra? Why does ultimately, why does a servant of Krishna, why does a servant of Krishna instead, instead, um, Prakriti, Sani, Karshati, struggle with Maya due to lust? And this lust is nothing but prema that has been transformed into instead of Krishna as the center, I am the center. And then what is lust transformed into wrath? Wrath, the younger brother of lust, is wrath, rage, hating. Hating. Hating who? Hating ourselves. Why am I so fallen? Why do I have so many problems? Why do I do so many bad things? Why do I have to listen to other people? Why do I have to do this? Why am I getting old? Why do I get so sick? Hating ourselves. Hating that I'm a servant. And hating others. The reason I have to do this thing is because my husband's no good, or my wife's no good, or my butt's usually an authority that we hate. My guru's no good, my temple president's no good, my GDC's no good. Why is this person cutting me off in his car? So much hatred. And from this hatred and rage springs, practically speaking, all of our diseases. I was reading a very interesting book about how the majority of diseases are caused by our inner rage, our inner hatred. Destroying, trying to destroy ourselves. The mode, of course, of the demons in the 16th chapter. But this rage is gone for one who practices seeing that everything is Krishna. Everything is Krishna's energy. Everyone who comes into my life, all the circumstances of my life, are all arranged by Krishna out of love for me. Out of love. So now we're going to look at the levels of spiritual advancement. I'm going to put this up all together. Kanista, the Majjhima, and the Uttama. Now, Kanista, Majjhima, and Uttama is explained differently in different places. This explanation that Srila Prabhupada gives here in this purport to Mantra 6 is also in the 11th canto. Uh, if we were all sitting in one room and we could talk and this could be a little more interactive, I'd ask you what it is in the Nectar of Instruction. And instead, I'll just tell you. Uh, please excuse me. So the Nectar of Instruction, Rupa Goswami says that the Kanista Adhikari is one who's chanting the holy name of the Lord. The Majjhima Adhikari is one who has received Diksha, that's Gayatri Diksha, and is worshiping the deity. And the Uttama has two qualities, never deviates in serving the Lord, and is free from the propensity to criticize others, which very much relates back to the mantra itself of not hating anyone, not hating anything, not having any envy. Other definitions are, another definition is given in Upadet, in the, uh, sorry, Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, and there the word is used as Adhikar, Kanista Adhikar, Majjab Adhikar, Uttam Adhikar, who has the right or the qualification to take up Vaidhi Sadhana Bhakti, which is based on the Shastras, and there the qualification, logically speaking, is how much faith you have in the Shastras. 
So if you're going to take up a process based on Shastric authority, your qualification for taking up that process is faith in the Shastras. So there's at least three definitions of Kanista Majjhima and Uttama. This one that we're looking at here, for those of you who can see the screen, the one given by Rupa Goswami in his Upadesh Amrita and the one given by Rupa Goswami in Bhakti Vasamrita Sindhu. There may be some more. Those are three that I'm aware of. So let's look at these because this will give us some idea of how to come to this higher consciousness. So we have the Kanista, not steady, unsteady. Right? One of the biggest questions that all the preachers get asked everywhere in the world is some variety of how do I become steady? How can I keep my enthusiasm? How can I keep my ecstasy? How can I keep my determination? So that's the Kanista. The symptoms of the Kanista, they can't tell who is who. They, they think that a great devotee is just somebody who materially has some charisma or makes some big show or someone who has a long beard and robes, you know, somebody who's dressed a particular way. They think the pot washer must be not very advanced. You know, if a sannyasi comes to town, everybody comes to class, but if the pot washer speaks, nobody comes, even though the pot washer may be Jayananda. So they can't tell. And they think God is only in the place of worship. God is only in the temple. God is only in my temple. God is only a Sunni Muslim, not a Shiite Muslim. Let me kill the Shiite Muslims. God is only a Catholic. Let me kill the Protestants. Right? Or God is, is only a Christian, let me kill the Muslims. Uh, God is only a Muslim, let me kill the Jews, etc. So God belongs to me. God is only in the Hare Krishna movement. You know, God is only in my temple of the Hare Krishna movement. God is only with the people who are God brothers of my guru in my temple in the Hare Krishna movement. So this is the, the symptom of the Kanista Adhikars. And everyone else is a demon, maybe even I kill them. And then another symptom probably gives is a quarrel considering one type of devotion better than another. Prabhupada also said, which I don't have up here, that they're very attached to the ritualistic formulas. They think that they're a devotee because they do something. Okay, because I chant my 16 rounds and I worship my deity and I offer my food. Therefore, I'm a devotee and therefore I am better than everyone else. So they're, they're attached to the externals only. I'm not saying the externals should be given up. They're attached to the externals only. They quarrel a lot. And we see this quite a bit, of course, in our Krishna consciousness movement. People who think my guru is the only guru, my temple is the only temple, uh, ISKCON is the only place in the universe where there's any Krishna consciousness, and I know better than you, my opinion is the only opinion. I remember once getting an email from one devotee on a particular philosophical point, and he was saying, he was giving his opinion, and he said, that's Krishna's opinion. And that's the only opinion in all capital letters. And someone else said, well, actually, probably that's your opinion. <laughs> uh, one thinks that one's interpretation of the Shastras is the only understanding. Even though we, we say that we have four defects, imperfect senses, tendency to cheat, tendency to cheat, uh-huh. interest, right? make mistakes, be illusioned. But we think that applies to everyone else but me. When I read the scriptures, my understanding is perfect. I'm not, my understanding of the scriptures is not compromised by my imperfect senses and my illusion. And we preach our understanding of the scriptures as if it was the scriptures, rather than as if it was my understanding of the scriptures, which is quite different. So the Kanistan Adhikari, he judges other people on superficiality. He judges God on superficiality. He judges devotion on superficiality. 
and is very much thinking that my view is the right view. In fact, what you often see with kinesthetic artists is they don't even understand the concept that my interpretation of the scriptures and the scriptures are not the same thing. They don't even understand that concept. I, I find, materially speaking, that it's very often the case that such people don't even understand that their view of even material things is their view. You know, if, if you get in an argument with somebody who has this mentality, they'll say, well, this is what you mean. And I'll say, well, it's not what I mean. They'll say, well, of course it's what you mean. You know, that, that my view is the only view. I mean, according to Piaget, that's the view of it. My view is the only view. And with, uh, what they call this in conflict resolution is naive realism. That I can't even intellectually understand the concept that different people see things in different ways. I, I can't even understand the concept. You know, I just, the way I see things is the way they are. And I don't even know that I'm thinking like that. All right, let's go on to the Majjuma. At least we should come to the platform of Majjuma. Most of us start at the platform of Kanista. At least we should come to the platform of Majjuma, where we actually love Krishna. We actually have some love for Krishna, where we have genuine friendship with the devotees. The opposite of friendship, according to Nard Muni in the fourth canto instructions to Juvamaraj, is where, with a friend, I try to put forward my own glory. And I help the innocent. Again, the opposite of that is I try to oppress the innocent. Instead of having compassion, I try to use them. And I avoid the atheist out of humility, not out of pride. And the Ujima doesn't distinguish. The Ujima just says everyone's a devotee. And it is only attracted by the spiritual spark. So this is real brotherhood. I have all living entities. Vijaya, Vinaya, Sampane, Brahmani, Gavi, Hasini, Suni, Chaiva, Sopake, Pandita, This cannot be imitated. If one tries to imitate this activity oops, of the Uttama Adhikari, that simply causes a disturbance. All right, let's go on to Mantra 7. Mantra 7 is talking about... Uh, Oh, sorry, it was so much. No, no, well, sorry, I'm sorry, I got lost here. So, Mantra said we're talking about Ekatvam, the oneness, and Anupasya to constantly see, to see through authority. Mantra 7 is describing the consciousness of the Mahabharata, not just the vision, but the consciousness. One has to see all living beings as spiritual, in quality, one with this degree. There will never be illusion or anxiety for him. So not only will one give up hatred, but one will give up all illusion and all, all anxiety. To see, following, how to see, to see in a way that follows the authority. Everything is one with the Lord in quality. Sparks of the fire. See that Krishna is in everyone's heart. Prabhupada giving a lecture on this verse. He says, if one is 10% one with the Supreme Lord, how has he come under the control of Maya? So it's not a oneness in the sense that I'm God. Not like that. Not that I'm God. But that I have one in interest. I have one in quality. 
Prabhupada saying here, although there is a relationship of master and servant, both master and servant are one because of their spiritual identity. This is also a katva. So our, our Vaishnava conception is different. I'm one in, in love. Even on a material level, we talk about the husband and wife are one. The lover and beloved become one. The mother and child are one. Right? The pregnant mother, she feels a oneness with her child. The, the breastfeeding mother, a oneness with her child. The husband and wife, a oneness, a bodily union, emotional union. We feel a oneness with our friends. We feel a oneness with our country. Right? We feel a oneness with humanity. We feel a oneness with life. That doesn't mean we all merge. The baby doesn't merge with the mother. Right? Modern abortion philosophy is the, the baby is just part of the mother's body and she can destroy it if she wants. Of course, that's a little odd, you know, even if you're going to say the baby is one with the mother's body. I don't think that we would say that people can just cut off their hands if they want. It would be a strange There are some people, psychologically disturbed people, <laughs> that actually want to amputate parts of their body uh, just because they don't like that part of their body. But anyway, we don't mean that kind of oneness. We don't mean that the baby and the mother, that they're not two separate people. In fact, if they are two separate people, what is the enjoyment? I mean, how much enjoyment can I have with a relationship with my own hand? <laughs> it's much more enjoyable to have a relationship with someone who has oneness with me, but also has some difference. The Mahabhagavad is everything in relationship to the Supreme Actually, before we're going to go on to Mantra 8, just saying here on Mantra 6 and 7 for a moment, that this means I have the wrong center. I'm trying to enjoy with Krishna as the wrong center. And I'm seeing things as separate from Krishna. If I divide up my life and say, okay, this part of my life is connected with Krishna, and this part of my life is not connected with Krishna, I will never come to the higher consciousness by which I can connect with Krishna and feel complete. I need to intentionally connect everything in my life with Krishna. I need to intentionally connect everything with Krishna by offering it to him. And I also need to see the things that come into my life as their own, of their own accord as connected with Krishna. If I'm working for Krishna's company and his offices are everywhere, then everything that comes into my life is something that he wants me to deal with for the furtherment of his mission. When one sees like that, there's no hatred. The rage subsides and starts to turn back into love. And there's no illusion or anxiety. I see things as they are. Prabhupada explains in Krishna book, uh, I believe it's in relationship to Lord Burma when he sees the Vishnu forms from the cows and the cowherd boys, that maya is within the mind. Maya is within the mind. The modes of nature, each particular mode, each combination of the mode, and maya in general, is a particular way I am choosing to interpret my situation. It's the way I am choosing to interpret my situation. It's the way I am choosing to interpret my situation. It is my covering. It is my filter. My angle. That I want be covered in a certain way because it fulfills my desires to try to enjoy. If I see things in a certain way, I can enjoy them. If I see animals as objects, then I can eat them and enjoy them. 
If I see them as living entities, I can't possibly do that. If a man sees a woman as an object, then he can try to exploit her and enjoy her. If he sees her as a person, he can't do that. Depending on our vision. So we adopt a particular vision in consciousness to facilitate a particular taste of material enjoyment, which never leaves us complete, always leaves us incomplete because it's illusion. If I choose, if I choose that I'm going to see everything in relationship to Krishna, every person, every dog, every mosquito, every bit of weather, every circumstance, bad or good from the material point of view, as related to Krishna, my illusion, my anxiety, my rage, my disappointment, will all dissipate. Then I can factually feel the completeness that I want. So now coming to mantra 8, this is putting it all together. Mantra 8 is describing the qualities of the Lord, which are then really understood and realized by someone who develops this transcendental consciousness. That Krishna has no material body. He knows everything omniscient. That no one can criticize him. As people criticize Krishna, why is he dancing and kissing other men's wives in the middle of the night? Why is he leaving Sita off in the forest when she's pregnant? Why is he killing Bali from behind the tree? Why is he arresting Bali Maharaj after he's given all of his wealth? People criticize. But Krishna is not subject to criticize, to criticism. He has no veins. So it's interesting because Krishna eats, he breathes, uh, he perspires, and yet he has no veins. He blushes, <laughs> and yet he has no veins. You can't say that he has a, a body made of matter. He's pure. He's never contaminated. He knows everything on his own. He doesn't have to go to school. Although he goes to school, he, he knows everything on his own, and he fulfills Everyone's desires from time in the morning. That's what one will come to understand when one has, has the proper consciousness. So, a papa vidam. Prabhupada says this is the most important part of this verse. That for us, there's a question of sin. We can have sin. Sin means basically doing something against truth. Because I'm a little, little, little part of the truth, I have the ability to imagine that I'm doing something opposed to truth. Everything he does is absolute truth. Therefore, there's no question of sin. Robert says, Krishna cannot be contaminated. Rather, everything that comes to him becomes purified. As it says, the hand of Krishna and the breast of the gopis are eternally auspicious. Anything, just Krishna's name purifies him. Anything to do with Krishna is purifying. Shudam is pure. It's like the sun. So the sun is, is uh, shining on a cesspool. The sun is shining on piles of stool and urine. If you, if you drive through the villages of India, so you'll see people on the side of the road passing stool and urine early in the morning. And then when you drive by in the morning, it's disgusting. You know, first you see the people, and then you see the piles. As you're driving through, you close your eyes. It's disgusting. But when you drive back in the afternoon, it's not disgusting anymore. Why? 
The sun is purified. The urine is evaporated. The, the stool is dried out and gradually becomes like powder and mixes with the earth. So the sun is touching something disgusting. If I go to these piles and touch them, I, I have to take a bath and I feel revolted. I feel nauseated. But when the sun touches them, not only does the sun not become contaminated, but the piles become pure. Artan Yedadat, rewards the desirable. The Lord is supplying goods to the living entity from time immemorial. Nitya Nityanam Chaitanas Chaitananam Eko Bahunam. Anyway, the Krishna's been giving the Krishna's eternal, we're all eternal. Krishna's one living entity, we're all living entities. And the Krishna's been supplying the desires, Eko, Bhavanam, Yovidadati Kama. That Krishna has been supplying the desires of the living entities from time in the world. What a, what a nice person. Who do we need that supplies all everything we desire? We can say, well, I don't get everything I desire. No, we do. We just don't know what to desire. A living entity desires something, and the Lord supplies the object of that desire in proportion to one's qualification. In proportion to one's qualification. And if one doesn't yet have the qualification, then Krishna from within the heart will show you how to get the qualification. This is explained very nicely in the Bhagavad Gita. If you really want to go to hell, Krishna will give you the intelligence how to go to hell. If you really want to go to heaven, Krishna will give you the intelligence how to go to hell. And here Prabhupada's making the point that we don't fulfill our desires independently. He says if a man wants to be a high court judge, he must acquire not only the necessary qualifications, but also the consent of the authority who can award the title of high court judge. The qualifications in themselves are insufficient for one to occupy the post. It must be awarded by some superior authority. My son was telling me last night of some criminal who assumed various identities in his life in order to steal and cheat. He pretended to be a pilot. He pretended to be a lawyer. One time he pretended to be a doctor. I said, well, how did he do that? He said, oh, well, he studied some books and he watched some movies. And, and even if he had acquired all the qualifications without the sanction of the medical community, how can he say that he is the doctor? Robert says, similarly, the Lord awards enjoyment to living entities in proportion to their qualifications, but good qualifications in themselves are not sufficient. To enable one to receive awards, the mercy of the Lord is also required. Right, you may have enough money, but that doesn't mean that the store is necessarily going to sell you something. If you go into a store with enough money, but if you behave badly, they may throw you out and not sell you anything. So we are dependent on the Lord to fulfill all of our desires. And here you see a picture of Mother Yasoda chasing after baby Krishna. So this refers to the story when Mother Yasoda ties up baby Krishna. And Vishnu Chakravati Thakur explains that this story shows the relationship between our endeavor and the Lord's mercy. That Mother Yasoda was trying to tie up Krishna with endeavor. It's not that she just sat there and didn't do anything. But until she received the Lord's mercy, she could not actually tie him. And again, Prabhupada's talking about Artan Yedadat. The living being does not know what you ask of the Lord, know which post you speak. This is the problem. 
the problem that, that we have as conditioned souls is that we don't know what to desire. When the living being comes to know his constitutional position, however, he has to be accepted into the transcendental association of the Lord in order to render transcendental loving service unto him. Unfortunately, living beings under the influence of material nature ask for many other things. Liberation as conceived thereby an impersonalist is a myth, and begging for sense gratification has to continue eternally. So it's a myth because in personal liberation you eventually fall down. And why sense gratification goes on eternally? Because you, ne- you never get completeness. What you can enjoy as a woman, you can't enjoy as a man. What you can enjoy as a man, you can't enjoy as a woman. What you can enjoy as a youth, you can't enjoy as an old person. What you can enjoy as a Brahmin, you can't enjoy as a Sudra. You never get everything. You never get everything. You get little bits and pieces. So then let me try it this way. Let me try it that way. It also has to go on forever because it doesn't satisfy the self. The only unconditional service to Krishna satisfies itself. Unconnected hand, remember the disconnected, cut off hand. Trying to satisfy ourselves separate from Krishna never gives us satisfaction. It's not real, it's not, it's not the authentic thing. Therefore, if you ask for sense gratification, you have to keep asking, now let me try this thing, let me try that thing. We don't know what to ask. These are the questions to consider. We can consider in our own lives. How do we, how do we practically demonstrate our equal vision? And this is all talking about revelation. How do we know what's the difference between revelation and our mind and intelligence? The difference between deity worship and idol worship? What's material desire and the spiritual desire? These are the questions that we can. Some of the questions we look at from these mantras. And I'll just quickly try to talk about each of these. The first one, how do we practically demonstrate equal vision along with dealing with other living beings according to their present body? Because I have to do that. I'm not going to treat a two-year-old child the way I treat a 20-year-old man. I'm not going to treat a dog the same way that I treat a cockroach. So equal vision. Equal vision means that I deal with everyone without hatred, illusion, anxiety, or envy, and that I see that everyone who is coming to my life is coming to my life because of the will of Krishna. Second one, relationship between our intelligence and getting revelation. So we get revelation, as Krishna says, one who worships Bhagavad Gita worships me by his intelligence, wants to use everything. We use our senses, we use our mind, we use our intelligence, we use our body in Krishna's service. Then when Krishna sees, he will reveal. This is, again, the relationship between endeavor and mercy. One will provoke mercy by endeavor. However, without mercy, the endeavor in itself is useless. So as we say in logic, necessary but not sufficient. How do we know what's our intelligence and what is super soul? First of all, what super soul is confirmed by guru, sadhu, and shastra. What is super soul is confirmed by guru, sadhu, and shastra. Well, we can say that it is by the mercy of super soul that we understand guru, sadhu, and shastra. And the other thing is that something coming from super soul fills us with Illumination, jnana pain bhashvata. You can feel the difference. You can feel the difference. 
if you're around somebody who's convinced that they're right and they're very disturbed and angry, you can ask them, well, if what you have is true, do you feel illumination and joy and peace? If I'm convinced that I'm right, that I'm on the right path, that I have the right understanding, check. Are all my gates illuminated by knowledge? Am I full of peace? Am I full of joy? Not just am I full of energy, because the mode of passion and ignorance also has its own kind of energy, and there's different kinds of energy. There's a kind of energy in the mode of ignorance. There's the energy of the tiger. There's the energy of the murderer. It's also energy. Just being full of energy, isn't it? But is it an energy of illumination and peace and joy? Well, those are the two ways. One is just, is what I'm understanding from super souls, their confirmation from Guru, Sadhana, and Shastra. And the other is, how do I feel? What's my subjective experience? Difference between deity worship and idol worship. Idol worship, Prabhupada often says, is something concocted. You create your own post office box and put it on the street, and letters in it won't go to the post office. So deity worship is done according to the instructions of the Shastra and according to the examples of the Sadhu and the instructions of Guru. How do we know what's a material desire and a spiritual desire? A material desire has me at the center and a spiritual desire has Krishna at the center. I really want to please you. I had an experience not too long ago. I was visiting one very elevated devotee, and I noticed that on her altar there were no flowers. So I love flowers. One of my favorite things of deity worship. And I said to her, I said, you know, I get some free flowers every day from such and such place. I can easily give you a whole bunch of them. If you want, I can bring you flowers every day. And she said, fine. So I did that for a couple of days, and then she said, let me look. The reason that there's no flowers in my altar is that I don't like offering not what I like to do. I said, well, how do you offer flowers? And she said, I offer Tulsi Mundries. Those are the kind of flowers I want to offer. She said, while I was taking all your dozens of flowers and taking 45 minutes decorating my altar, I just felt disturbed. I wanted to be doing other saving. She said, I was doing your saving, not my saving. I said, well, what saving do you want to do? She said, get me Tulsi. So I started bringing her large containers full of that's the difference between a material desire and a spiritual desire. Material desire, even in Christian consciousness, I want to serve in what I want. I'm not thinking about what's bringing happiness to the other person. I'm not trying to please the other person. I'm trying to please me. And I'm trying to please the other, I'm trying to please me often at the other person's expense. At the expense of the other person's time, at the expense of the other person's happiness, I'm using the other person, whether it's Krishna, whether it's Guru, whether it's the other devotees. That's the essence of a material desire. I'm taking. And I can be taking in the name of service, as I was doing with giving those flowers. The flowers was my enjoyment. And I was trying to get enjoyment from my friend by giving her what I thought she should have for service. And when I gave her what she wanted for service, and both she became happy and I became happy. Okay, what do we do with our material desires? Best thing is we convert them into spiritual desires by finding out what Krishna and Guru and other people actually want. If I'm very attached to some material desire, then I take it to Krishna. 
And I said, my dear Lord, I realize that this, this desire I have is only causing me pain. I realize that it's false. I realize it's out of accord with the truth. However, I am very attached to it. You please help me. Please help me to purify this desire, either by fulfilling it in such a way that I will see it for what it is, or by somehow removing it from my consciousness. I lay this desire at your lotus feet. You please do with it what you like. So these are the two ways of purifying desires, either to take them back to their original form or to uh, beg the Lord to please. Okay, that's the end of this particular... Summary of Mantra's So we started out, of course, invocation one through three of becoming complete by offering our quota to the Lord and thereby feeling satisfied. That Lord is beyond anything material. That Lord is materially contradictory, inconceivable, known only by his mercy. And when we know him and how we know him is by seeing everything in relationship to him, at which point he will reveal himself. Okay, it is now 8.30, but we have to take a little time for questions and discussions. I'll ask a question, Manji. Thank you so much for a beautiful class and vibrating such transcendental sound. It's nectar to the ears and to the heart. Um, I wanted to ask you, you were differentiating, describing the um, Uttama Adhikari, the Madhyam Adhikari, and the Kanishta Adhikari. And you were saying that the Kanishta Adhikari thinks that you know, his, his way is the only way, uh, etc. But then I was thinking that isn't it also a fact that that the only, really, in this day and age, in the age of Kali, the only means to obtain perfection in the highest sense is through connection with Lord Chaitanya. For example, uh, Narutam Das prays Nitaya Karuna Habe, that only by uh, obtaining the, the mercy of Lord Nichananda, Braje uh, Radha Krishna Habe, only in that way can we approach Radha and Krishna. Therefore, you know, he's advising Dharanitaya, Charana Dukhani, that only by capturing the, the lotus feet of Lord Nityananda is it at all conceivable that one will ever approach the highest level of perfection and intimacy with Krishna. Okay. So you'd like to look at those statements of that only way and contrast it with the Kanista Adhikar. So the mm-hmm. only way that we can attain Krishna is through love and devotion. Correct. That's it. Now, that love and devotion, however, may be exhibited to some extent by people in different ways. So we find, if Bhaktivinoda Thakur says wonderful things about this, he particularly talks about this. So we find that in every bona fide tradition of the world, there's some connection with the holy name of the Lord. And there's some connection with Guru. Who is Lord Nityananda? Nityananda is the Adi Guru. When we say Guru one, when we say Guru is one, who is that one Guru? Lord Nityananda, Lord Balaram. Sometimes said, you know, the original Guru is Radhamanda. 
So without the name of God and without Guru, it is impossible. So the Christians also say something like that. I am the, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the light. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. And what do we say? When we run into that from the Christians, we say, oh, you're talking about Guru's principle. So see it as a principle. Good explanation. Thank you. I have a question, Mother Irmala. This is Radhana. <clears throat> when you were talking about Madhyam, yes. you, um, you said that the, um, to avoid atheists out of humility and not pride. Um, could you explain that to me? Because I really don't understand it. So, just like an alcoholic, an alcoholic knows that a recovering alcoholic. If I take one drink, I may fall back to death. So the alcoholic, therefore, recovering alcoholic, avoids going someplace where they're likely to take even one drink. Therefore, they may avoid the company of other people who are drinking. They are doing that out of an acknowledgement of their own weakness rather than out of hatred for the other people who are drinking. Oh, okay. Yes, thank you very much. Uh, I have a question. Uh, we were talking about bona fide worship. Uh, what about in the case of somebody like in the jungle where they've never been exposed to any Krishna consciousness and they're doing some kind of concocted worship because they don't know any better? Does Krishna recognize that worship? What of the appreciate that worship? Yes, you have to ask Krishna. But my understanding is that Krishna is a person, and as a person, he takes into consideration a person's circumstance. Oh, there was a story that I heard some time ago about the devotee who was out on Bookish or something, somewhere in Eastern Europe. To a family who had received Srila Prabhupada's book but had no connection whatsoever with other devotees, no connection to the Hare Krishna movement, they didn't even really know there was a Hare Krishna movement to connect with. And by, re- I don't remember the exact circumstances how that came about. And in Prabhupada's books about deity worship, they concocted their own deities. They like took some dolls and, and painted them and set them up on an altar and were doing worship to them. So, you know, did Krishna accept that? Well, I, I hope so. You know, I don't think that there's not many people in ignorance. But anyway, Krishna does certainly take into account one's situation. He's, he's not a bureaucrat. You ever have some bureaucratic company like that? You know, you contact them and just the front line person says, sorry, you got to follow our rules. Sorry. You got to fast our policy. Very sorry, that's our policy. You know, but eventually, if you're able to get up through the ranks, sometimes that's hard. You know? Excuse me, can I please speak with the supervisor? Sorry, all of our supervisors are engaged. You know, but if you're able to get up to the, eventually you get to a point where you can speak to somebody who has the ability to adjust things. Someone who has the ability to say, okay, you know, we're going to do it like this. We're going to do it like this. So Krishna is that person. 
he's the ultimate decider. Like Bush used to say, I'm the decider. Really nice purple where Robert talks about Krishna like that. He's the decider. So Krishna decides. If something's irregular, is he going to accept it or not? When you get up that level, that's, that's his personal choice. I had a uh, comment <clears throat> and a question. Uh, first of all, I was going to say that um, these seminars are not only enlightening, but they're very purifying. I, we were just reading in the uh, fourth uh, chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, Transcendental Knowledge, there's that one verse, Namang Liman, uh, Karmani Limpanti, you know, where Krishna says that no work affects me, and one who understands this truth, He's also not entangled in the fruit of actions of work. When you were explaining um, verse 7, it's just amazing how it gave me a fresh look at this verse. Uh, anyway, I was just going to really compliment a uh, very purifying lecture. Now, I have a question. Uh, this is uh, for Mantra 6. Um, I think I catch the meaning of Mantra 6 that if you see everything in relationship to the Lord, then you'll never hate any being or anything. Uh, now, there's another verse in the Bhagavad Gita, the verse in chapter 9, where it says, Maya tatamidam sarvam. Some other, I have trouble with this verse, not being able to understand it. Um, when Krishna talks about that he's everywhere, all living entities are in him, but yet he's not there. I still get confused. We did have a discussion on this just a, a week or two ago. Um, for instance, Nara Hari Prabhu was pointing out that you can see the Lord everywhere, in every material object as well, You know, whether it's a, the sofa or tube of toothpaste or whatever. Krishna is in everything. My understanding is a little bit different, that... Uh, Krishna is a source of everything, so there's nothing but Krishna in that there's Krishna's energies, and then there's the primeval Lord himself. So I was under the understanding that um, when, unless I misunderstood our Hari Prabhu's point, that when we talk about Krishna is everywhere, he's not personally everywhere. He's everywhere because everything is him, but one is his energies, and the one is his primeval self, and that's why he says, yes. Okay, I really like that verse. Although I am everywhere, and everything rests in I'm not there. When I was, one time, one of the many, many, many times that I was teaching this verse to Gurkha students, after the class, there was a little break, and I heard one six-year-old boy say to another, I think Mother Irma taught us a bogus philosophy, because he, she said that Krishna is saying that he's not there, but I know that Krishna is in everyone's heart and is in every atom. So, of course, then the next verse after that one, Krishna says, Yet behold my mystic potency. Still I am the very source of creation. So I would go back to the conversation between Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and Ramananda Roy, when Ramananda Roy sees the Lord as Radha and Krishna, and what's going on, and Lord Chaitanya says, one who loves the Lord sees him everywhere. 
And who does he see? He doesn't see the super ball. He doesn't just see Krishna's energy. He sees Shamasunda. So one who has love, as explained in Chaitanya Charitamrita, when he sees everything, he doesn't see their forms, he sees the Lord. So how are both true? All right. So look around where you are now. Do you see the government? Take the room where you are now, the building where you are now, or if you're even outside. Do you see the government? But I'll tell you what, the government's there. Now, of course, in India, maybe this isn't true for those of you in India, but for the rest of us, the government's there. How far, how many uh, electrical outlets, or as some of you are in other parts of the world, PowerPoints, are in our room? How, right. far, how far apart are they? How much insulation or lack of it is in the walls? What kind of foundation there is? All of that's determined by government codes. And therefore, the government, by its energy, is, is everywhere around us. The government has laws and codes that are directing and controlling everything around us. I mean, let's say we really a terrible government. So the government is there by its energy. You can say, well, the government's not personally there. Now, in our case, the government, to come personally to where we are, has to move from one place to another. Now, the way you can see the government personally where you are generally is to commit a crime. So if a murder or a robbery were to take place in your room at this moment, then the government would be there in person. Of course, again, in our case with the government, there's some person that has to move from one place to another. They have to receive a report that there is a robbery or a murder, and then they have to dispatch a police officer who will get in a car and drive to our home. In the case of Krishna, if there is some crime, he may personally manifest. Although generally, Krishna will personally manifest, not so much to deal with the crime as to favor his devotees. Case of the Singadev, it was both combined that such a heinous crime was being committed, and so many heinous crimes had been committed. And his devotee said, "Yes, Krishna personally is in that pillar. Personally, and yes, I'm here." So, if the government can be everywhere, even in things like electrical outlets and our building construction, and if the government can personally appear anywhere within its jurisdiction. So what about Krishna? So Krishna is there in the form of his energy, and he also can personally manifest. And personally manifest doesn't mean that he's moving from one place to another. He's always there, but he may not manifest himself personally. When he's not manifest, you can say he's not there personally. Just like we say that uh, no, no one but Krishna manifests for opulences. So they're there in Vishnu, but they're never manifest. So if they're never manifest, it's almost as if they're not there, but they're there. So Krishna is a person, is there, he's everywhere. But he chooses not to manifest, therefore one can say he's not the 
Okay, is there any other questions? Hare Krishna, Mother Thank you so much for the seminar. Um, I, I'm sorry I don't have a reference right now, but uh, Prabhupada speaks about a third class uh, pure devotee. I would like if you could give definition about it, how to understand that. I think I'd have to see the reference and the context in which Prabhupada said that. Uh, without seeing the reference of context, all I can say is just like Prabhupada's letters where he said, all my disciples are pure and I understand the word pure devotee there to mean someone who has the objective of pure devotion. So, like, if you a plane that's going to Chicago, even if you haven't yet landed in Chicago, you can say it's a Chicago flight. Okay. That's my understanding, but I would have to see the context in order to see anything more. Find your context, Okay, thank you very much. All glorious to Srila Prabhupada. Shri, thank you, Maharaji. Thank everyone for association. Hare Krishna. Thank you. Hare Krishna, thank you very much. Thank you. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna.